0: You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello, and welcome to Absent Minded. My name is Jared Book. Joining me today, Anton Roskar. An hour later for for me, anyway, than, than usual.
1: No, no, no. It's it's less of a time difference because it's yeah. five hours now, and then we're changing next week, right. For some reason.
0: Okay. Right. Yeah. Because we we move an hour closer to you because we move an hour ahead. Right. So so yeah. an hour closer to you for a week. You
1: said. Yeah. For, for a week. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh. It, it's something.
0: It's it's one thing. It one. It's one thing to to have to change time. Uh, arbitrarily some would argue and it's another to do it at all different times (laughs) where where, you know part of the world doesn't you know, one week, one of the world does it another week. It, yeah, it's... apparently it's
1: two weeks even. So it's the yeah. 20, between the 27th and 28th of March. And I, I have no idea why. It was the same, like, during the, uh, during the autumn, I worked for uh, Profitable Focus, PFF, and it was the same. Obviously, like, the schedule changed when the American uh, time zone changed. And then yeah. I was just like, well, it's still the same time here. And then I was just like, it was very weird. And then we moved on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So apparently it's two weeks now that we're five hours, you're five hours back and then it's going to be six hours again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Time zones are weird. And and because if you look at the history of daylight savings time, it's completely arbitrary. Yeah. Um, and to begin with, so yeah, I think a couple of years ago, North America decided to do it just, yeah, you know what, let's do it a week earlier. Yeah. You know, and the rest of the world is like, okay. (laughs) And and basically that's what happened. And and yeah, the whole thing is arbitrary and it probably doesn't need to happen anymore because it's not even benefiting the farmers, which is the, the myth, I guess, uh, at least on, on this side of the world, that that's what it's for. Um, And yeah, anyway, uh, this is not, this is not uh, a podcast on, daylight savings time (laughs) it is a podcast podcast. (laughs) yeah yeah twice a year um it's a podcast about the Montreal Canadiens uh which arguably is is just as confusing as daylight savings time uh in the last couple of weeks and I I don't want to talk too much about the details about the two losses to the Calgary Flames just because they were you know Thank goodness they weren't the games that started at 11 o'clock Eastern time. Although that that might have been better for for you guys in Europe, you you and Patrick. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it just seems like for whatever reason, this team knows what they should be doing and it just isn't happening. And I'm wondering if that makes it better or worse than if they were just being completely, their game plan was the issue. And, and it doesn't seem to be the issue. The issue is executing the game plan. And I don't know if that's even more frustrating than it would be otherwise.
1: I always think it's better to have a problem with execution and not the game plan, because if the game plan is the problem, then the execution will also be a problem. So uh, I, I think that you can't really execute a good game if you don't have a functioning game plan. So now it's just, it feels... I mean, it's a weird season, right? So you have all of these away stints that last for like six or seven games and you don't get to practice a lot. And it's just Dominic Ducharme has come in as the new head coach and he hasn't really been able yet to shape his team the way he likes it. He, he has to follow on, on what Claude Julien did earlier and, and what the previous coaching staff, which he was a part of, obviously, but... But it's just, it's a difficult time to get in as a new coach. But then again, you could say that Daryl Suter should have the same problem. And then the Calgary <laughs> Flames played the way they did last night. And it just looked, yeah, it just looked uh, more, more. Uh, th- there were considerably more more speed and velocity and, and tenacity in, in uh, the Flames than it was in the Canadians. So um, I, I want to have Ducharme's back here in the beginning, but it just goes up and down and up and down. And I would gladly take that away and just have a more, a more solid team that you know what you're going to get on an, on an, you know, on an everyday night basis.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the issue uh, is not, and we saw this a lot when Claude Julien was hired and Michel Terrier was fired is that what, what seems to be happening is that it's not only learning how to play under Dominic Ducharme it's forgetting how to play under Claude (laughs) Julian. And, and the issue is, is that when they panic, when they, they default to what, you know, and, and that's part of being a, you know, being in a new system is that you, you're, you know, your your instincts are not there and that's what they kind of need to, you know, repetitions are are important for that. And, and that's something that, that will need to happen. But, I think that's what's ha- what's happening is that they're, they when they don't know what to do, they just forget what they're supposed to do, <laughs> and 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 that's not on the it is on the coach a little bit, but I think it's more on the players because, you know, like Joel Bouchard likes to say a lot, he doesn't hold the stick, and and at a certain point you have to, you know, the players need to to perform, and, and that's the second part. You mentioned how the Flames look much better under. That Sutter, what, what happens with them is that they're just playing all, all out and the Canadians just didn't have their legs. And that's the second part of the problem is that it seems like this team has trouble starting games. And I want to preface this by saying, yes, it was a 5.00 PM local start. They're already dealing with weird time differences uh, from, from Vancouver, going to Vancouver, then going to Calgary. And now they have another time difference in Winnipeg, which is where they are right now. But you know, 5 p.m. local start, it just seemed like they never got their legs. They didn't have a morning skate. And, and Dominic Charm talked about that. He's like, you know, he was asked after the game, why didn't you have a morning skate? And he's like, listen, the, the ice was only available at 11 o'clock local. So that's six hours before the game is supposed to start. So you're stuck in a position where you can either choose to stay in the arena all day and have a morning skate, skate or have a morning skate, go back to the hotel and then literally turn around right after to get back for the game. Or you can just choose to not have a morning skate, show up on time, and and that's what he chose to do. And he didn't blame it on that. But at a certain point, you know, th- this team has to start better. And, you know, because it's happened now under two different coaches, I- I'm not sure if that's necessarily an issue with the coaching either. And, and we talk about character and leadership in this Montreal Canadiens dressing room. And at a certain point, you need those guys to step up. And, and I'm not saying that they're not stepping up. At a certain point, you know, if, if you know what you have to do and you know you have to start games on time and you know you have to play 60 minutes and it just doesn't happen, then you have to start looking at yourselves, right? There's nowhere else to point the finger right now. And you can, you know, from the outside, you can say, oh, Mark Bergman needs this, this team needs this. This wasn't a problem three months ago. <laughs> you know, when, when the season started, every, you know, everything was going well and and they... I don't know if it's necessarily a depth issue. I don't think Ben Sherrod's injury matters that much and completely the the forward group of this team. And at a certain point, it comes to the players to just have to play better.
1: It does. And I think as well that I, I, I think that it can be something because there was obviously after the play-in and playoff series, series, uh, there was so much positivity going around in Montreal. And everyone thought with the moves that Bergevin made during the offseason as well, that this was the season where everything was going to fall into place. And when they started the season 7-1 and 2, uh, everything felt even more like... You know, this was going to be a team that was going to challenge Toronto for for the number one spot in the north, and then once you see like everything starts to like kind of crackle down a little bit, and you see that all of a sudden your head coach is fired, and your assistant head coach is fired, and your goaltending director of goaltending is fired, and I just don't think that the leaders on this team, Carey Price, who has played started the season, um, on a poor note and has played much better in the, uh, in the recent weeks, um, guys like Shea Weber and, uh, yeah, obviously Jeff Petrie is playing great, but, but otherwise like the, the leaders of the team, I don't think that they thought that they would be in a position where they would be in limbo for a playoff spot at this point, especially not as you say, since it looked so great during the first weeks of the season, um, and it's just yeah as you say it's a matter of just realizing where you are and where that you will need to fight 60 minutes a game for every single point at this point because Calgary is coming in strong and they will continue to because they have a great team they just needed better leadership and if they continue to play the way they did last night uh, Montreal obviously has to look out for from behind and you don't want to end up in a fifth spot on a weak North Division because that would be that would be devastating for these and this team build going forward.
0: Yeah, if they finish fifth in this division, there's going to be changes. I I don't think I don't think Mark Bergevin survives not making the playoffs. I don't even know if he survives a first round exit, depending no. on how it happens. Uh, you know, if they lose in seven games to Toronto, as an example, uh, I think that you know maybe he's safe. But if if they if they even make playoffs and falter, I think it's clear that this team was just not good enough, despite the high expectations that clearly were evident throughout. And you know they're they're only two points ahead of Calgary, with only one game in hand. You know their points percentage is now closer to Calgary than it is to Toronto, and and that's to miss the playoffs. So they they need to start winning. It's not it's not over yet. I mean they're still. 29 games left in the season, which is more than the 27 games they've played, and, and I think that I really do think that this team is going to pick up dominic ducharme's system and play better in the second half than they did in the first half. But at the same time, you know, it's getting to a point where you've lost 15 of your 27 games. <laughs> that, that's that's not good enough. You know, it, it's they're over 500 in points percentage because seven of those losses come in overtime. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're going to need to string wins together and. I, I do think that we have to look at the second half of the season as the make or break point. I don't think, you know, even the next two games in Winnipeg are are at that point yet, you know, they're, they've played Winnipeg a lot lately. So they're going to have some familiarity. They've played in Winnipeg a lot lately as well. Uh, I feel like almost more than they've played at home under Dominic Tushar mm. uh, because Winnipeg was the the sign of his, his first two games in the NHL. So I, I I'm not writing off the season yet, but we're getting to a point where the urgency needs to pick up. And yeah. if, if you're not, you know, there are so many people online and, and even, you know, on TV saying that, you know, if this Montreal Canadiens team is not ready for a game where they had the day off before, they're in the same city and they're playing the team that's right behind them in the playoff hunt, if you're not ready to start that game, when are you going to be ready to play like where's where what's what's happening here so i i do think that it's just like you say you said off the top it's easier to fix one thing which is execution than it is to fix two things which is execution and game plan so you know at least that you know they don't have to fix two things but at a certain point you have to start fixing it otherwise there, there's no point point. and that's what mark bergevin did with the coaching change and at a certain point you need results and that's what needs to happen going forward. You know, you mentioned Carey Price. This game could have been like 5 nothing if it wasn't for for Carey Price in the first period. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, Shea Weber, I think it was after the last game that, that Carey Price won. Or maybe it was the overtime loss, uh, the shootout loss to Vancouver. He said, you know, what's the difference with Carey Price's play? And he's like, I just think we're better in front of him. Which which is obviously something it makes it easier for the goaltender, but on yeah. on Saturday night they were not better in front of them at all. It, it might have been their, their worst game of the season, uh, yeah. in terms of just execution and and just looking lost. At least to the, the start the game, you know, the, they got better you know midway through the second period. But you know it it, it 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 was probably their worst game of the season because there was so much expectation. You know, it's like okay, they're they're finally starting to hit their stride they get to calgary and they do not find their stride and and you know so much of the questions after saturday's game from the media was okay you know last game against calgary you had you know fatigue as an excuse you didn't use it as an excuse but it was at least an an explanation as to why there was a lack of execution and they're like why was what was the excuse this time and and or what's the reason for for the, the bad start this time and they're just like you know, Dominic DuShan said we didn't move our legs Jeff Petrie said we we didn't support each other so they, they have reasons it's not like they're like look like, oh I don't know I don't know what's wrong <laughs> you know it, it, it's not like they're running into a hot goalie it's just it, it's there it's just about flicking that that switch and and making sure that they're all on the same page and that's it's frustrating to watch because when it doesn't look good it just looks like they're running around and not playing together, you know. You look at the the first goal, where where Yul Armia is just kind yeah. of passing to nobody, <laughs> yeah. even though there's people that are waiting for a pass. He does something that nobody else on the team is expecting him to do, and as a result, they they give up a scoring chance and a goal. And and it's just it is it's 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 I think that's even more frustrating than if it was just like a bad bounce or something. You know, it's just it, it, we the people who believe in this team or believed in the the roster know that this team could be better. And then everyone who doesn't believe in this team is like, oh, well, (laughs) it's Mark Bergeron's fault. Mm. (laughs) And there's really no one between, right? It's, it's one or the other. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic because Dominique Ducharme is still interim head coach. I still think he's one of the best options to be head coach, no matter who the general manager is, but that this, this is going, you know, if this team doesn't turn around, it's possible that he will never get another NHL head coaching job again. And and I'm I'm sure that he's, you know, feeling that pressure a little bit as well, because, you know, if Mark Bergman is back, Dominic Ducharme is back. I think that's clear. But if Mark Bergman is not back, this is, you know, his audition, (laughs) his, 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 job interview. uh, And, you know, the the results need to be there as well. And and in a way it's a, it's a, it's an interview for everybody else on the roster. You know, there's a lot of guys looking for contracts. There's a lot of guys trying to establish whether they're going to be part of this core or not. You know, we're 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 a month or so away from saying, "Oh, you can't trade Nick Suzuki or Yasperi Kutkiniemi for Pierre-Luc Dubois." That's ridiculous. Mm. And and now, um, they're they're heading into a game against Winnipeg, where you know the team that has Pierre-Luc Dubois is currently pulling away from them in the division. And and I'm not saying it's all because of him. I'm just saying, you know, th- this the start may have overvalued some of the assets that, that they have. And, and Nick Suzuki has struggled. The very cut Kinemi has been playing better lately. And I don't want to pin this on Nick Suzuki at all. That's not what I want to do. I'm just saying th- this is what happens when you rely on two young centers to be the, the, you know, two of the, the stars of your team. You're going to have, I mentioned this with Patrick, a, a couple of podcasts ago, you're going to have growing pains. It's part of the nature, not just in the system, but within the players as well, you know, how many ups and downs has cut Kutkaniemi have since he's been drafted and made his NHL debut, you know, a year ago at this time, well, a year ago at this guy nobody was playing, but he was in the AHL and he was not going to be back in the NHL this season, you know, so there's going to be ups and downs and that's to be expected. You know, look at Kerry Price. Look mm-hmm. at the ups and downs that Kerry Price has had in his career. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about lately. I'm talking about the start of his career. You know, he, he came in as the backup to Cristobal Huey and, and, you know, you can say arguably the most memorable moment or, or playoff run of this Montreal Canadiens team had Carey Price on the bench behind Yaroslav Halak. So, it, there, you know, there's going to be growing pains. He turned into the best goaltender in the world for a little bit. You know, it, it's not like that means he's he's doomed. And it doesn't mean that Suzuki or Yemi are doomed either. It's just, what ha- you know, Alexander Romanov is a good example of that as well. Where beginning of the season, it's like, oh, wow, this guy's great. He's, he's he's going to be a star, and then, you know, we don't talk about him as much anymore. Even yeah. though he's playing next to Shea Weber right now, so yep. it, it's normal. This is development. It's 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 to be expected, and and you know that's the you know you can argue the Canadians are between two different windows right now, right? Mm-hmm. The 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 price Weber window may have, you know, it may have been maybe may be gone in terms of them being. You know, core core elite players, and the the, the next generation of Suzuki and and Kiyemi and Roman, Romanov is not there yet, and and you know you could add you know different prospects like Jesse Ulanen and Cole Caulfield into that as well, but you know it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, and and I feel like we'd be looking at Mark Bergevin a lot differently if this was year four or five instead of year 8 or 9. Yeah. And and that's I'm not saying that he deserves us to back off because of that I'm just saying it's it's a different situation this 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 franchise is is kind of at a crossroads. And and the next we talked about how the the bubble really affected this the, the outlook and, and the future of the organization. It made them go get Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli and, and Joel Edmondson, Jake Allen, all those guys. And these last 29 games of the season is going to determine a lot of futures in the organization as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and also uh, it is, it is a special situation. Now you you mentioned the centers, for example, two 20 year old guys and no one was expecting Phil Denault to, to struggle as much in his contract year as he has done since everyone was the only thing that was a sure bet was that the the uh, well-considered first line with Dano Gallagher and, and Tatar would still perform up to par you expected them to have You know, um, to have the back of the other lines, basically that you could put that line against any other line in the the north division and you would uh, be able to at least get, uh, you know, solid, um, both defensive and offensive play. Um, And when that line has kind of struggled a little bit, then all of a sudden more pressure comes on guys like Suzuki and Kotkinimi to pick up the pace, and they are still only 20 years old. And it's the same with someone like Romanov, when Ben Chirot, who was um, a, a pleasant surprise during the second half of the season last year, uh, has struggled this year, and, and Shea Weber hasn't played um hasn't played as well as we hope that he still can do, uh, then there is more pressure on guys like Romanov and and Brett Kulak to pick up the pace. And they may not be ready to do that yet. And with Brett Kulak, obviously, it's different because he's 27. But it's still still, when you can't get uh, your leaders on the team to perform um, to the level that you expect of them, uh, on a consistent basis, then you need uh, all of a sudden need consistent play from your youngsters, and the youngsters are there to uh, to try and fail and try again and fail again until they learn to become great NHLers, which they have potential to be. Uh, but at this point, i was uh, I was thinking about the fact that you said like uh, the Canadians have lost fifteen out of the twenty seven games they played. And as I said, they started the season 7-1-2. and two. So basically, they have lost 12 out of the last 17. They've only won five in the last 17 games. Obviously, there are five OT and shootout losses in there as well. But it's just, it says something about the way that partly also the North division is because the Canadians are still in a playoff spot <laughs> with five wins in 17 games um, and that's why it would be devastating to miss the playoffs because the North division is not very good but also it says something about the way that this team is playing we we get these glimmers of hope when they beat Winnipeg by 7-1 and they beat Vancouver by 5-1 and we see what this team is capable of when they fire on all cylinders but then all of a sudden they they are back uh, during this, this stint in Calgary they are back down to earth and and they just look uninspired and and there's there's nothing going on to no, no one can pick up um and just um yeah show show the team what has to be done except for well last night and during the last few games carry price
0: it, it almost feels like i mean you talk about peaking at the right time and i guess it's good that the downswing is happening now when there's still a lot of time to turn around, you know, Mark Bergevin can still make a trade if he wants to. It's you know, there's time now. It was such to, a weird, weird yeah, season as this... well
1: to make a trade with a 14 day quarantine window, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: it's it's not it's not the it's not ideal, <laughs> no. but but at the same time, there's time, right? There's, there's there's you know, we we talk there's I feel like there's been like three different seasons within this 27 games, and there's still half a season to go. <laughs> Yeah, you know it's it's kind of it's kind of weird how how long this short season feels, and and you know it's it's weird because we, we I think that it's changed the mindset in that okay every game matters every game matters they need to start going on a run and you look at it we we haven't even played half the season yet you know it's kind of it it's kind of, um, it, it's kind of a, a mind trick almost where it's like you 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 psych yourself up to feel like okay, every game matters this is really important. you can't go on a losing streak and then they do go on a losing streak or at least you know a, a streak where they lo- they lose a lot more than they win and you're like, well oh, you know there, there's still a lot of games left <laughs> and you know it, it's it's funny how how it's it, it can it can change but yeah at, at the same time they need to do something so, mm-hmm. something needs needs to happen you know and, and I think they got a, a rude awakening when, when Philip Deneau Left the game in the first period for a little bit because they realized, you know, as as bad as Dano was playing, I don't think he's playing that bad, but but his production no. obviously is not where it needs to be uh, yeah. in terms of offensive production. But but he is also still playing really tough minutes and doing better more often than not than than you know the the other team. I mean, you look at the the players that they have shut down this season. It, you know, Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, Austin Matthews—they haven't really dominated Montreal. In any games, like they have the rest of the season, mm. or, or the teams in, in the season, so you know th- there there are positives to take from Philip Deno's play. Having said that, you, you realize as, as bad as he's playing, you realize how important he is to this team, because you, suddenly he leaves the game. You Jake Evans is a healthy scratch, and you're stuck with yes, Freddy cut me, Nick Suzuki, and Paul Byron as your three centers. And and that's not ideal, (laughs) you know. Uh, It's and then you know even if let's say uh, Dino misses, if you if you were to miss time, or if you trade him like so many people want him to be traded right now, then you're still stuck with Yesperi Kyriakou, Nick Suzuki, Jake Evans, who has struggled to be a fourth line center, is now your third line center, and then you might have, you know, Paul Byron as your fourth line center, and then you know, oh okay, then you could look at Laval and be like, okay, Jordan Wheel is that who you want as your third line center or, or, you know, Laurent Dauphin who's on the taxi squad or Michael Froelich who hasn't played a game this season in the NHL or, you know, Ryan Paling is the name that always comes up when you talk about a opposition opening up at center. And we'll get into him a little bit later because I don't think fans know how to react to Ryan Paling at all. Um, mm-hmm. And then you, you look at, you know, Joseph Blandisi and, you know, it, there's, there's guys in Laval who can play center, but, they don't have anybody to replace Philip Dano, right? You know, Jake Evans is not there yet. Uh, and then even if he were, I don't think Kinyemi and Suzuki are ready for, you know, playing tough t- tough opponents either. So th- this, t- and David St. Louis had an article about it that has saying that this team needs a center. They definitely need a center because it's not working the way they have it now. I, I think they do need some insurance there because one injury... To even to Kanyemi or Suzuki, who also left the game right. on Saturday for a bit after getting uh, knocked in the mouth by by Corey Perry, They're, they need a center because there's nobody who can step up. I forgot to mention Lucas Vedamo as well. Lucas Vedamo is probably the most ready center in Laval right now, besides Jordan Wheel, depending how you feel about him. But at the same time, he's not he's not going to step into a, a top a top three a top sorry a third line role. He's not going to to go into that. I don't know if that's what what you want either. So it, it's a tough situation right now for for Mark Bergevin because you mentioned that you know any acquisition from the U.S. is out of the lineup for two weeks. Ben Sherrod is out for four to six weeks. It, it's it's not ideal. This situation that the Canadians are in, but at the same time, you mentioned that you know the the state of the the North Division. And it's not that great either. So, you know, they you can look at it both sides, you know. Their 574 point percentage would be six if they were in the east. It would be um you know, in, in the west, it's kind of weird because nobody has played the same amount of games, but they would be out of a playoff spot in the west. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where in, in the central they would be they would be in the playoffs in the central, but I mean the central is just a weird division, you know, Chicago's in a playoff spot right now <laughs> in, in the central, but having said that, you know, in most, in, in half the divisions, they wouldn't be in the playoffs. Uh, and, and in the North, they're barely in the playoffs. So it, it's it, they're in a tough position, but it's not insurmountable. Uh, and because the teams ahead of them are not pulling away. Even Toronto was not really pulling away. You know, Montreal and Winnipeg were right next to each other when Dominic Ducharme took over and now Winnipeg is only four games behind Toronto, two games in hand. Mm. Right they're right there. So you go on a winning streak in this division and your positioning is going to change quite drastically. So that's the good news for the Montreal Canadiens.
1: Yeah. It's an even division.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know even Vancouver's not really out of it right now. No. I know. Vancouver Vancouver is as as far behind Montreal as Montreal is behind Toronto.
1: Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah.
0: <laughs> which is which is which is scary from a Montreal perspective, but also not that scary if you look at it that way, because there are a lot of people who are who are expecting Montreal to catch Toronto, right? So mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's um, they have to basically you know to narrow this podcast down into one sentence is they have to start winning. It doesn't matter how, <laughs> they just have to start winning. That that's yep. that's the 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 rule of the tide right now in 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 Montreal. And I will use the uh, the segue you made a little while ago uh, about the Laval Rocket to talk about the Laval Rocket because we haven't really talked about them this season. They've played eleven games so far this season out of the thirty six that they're going to play, which is which is weird that it's it's they had a late start and they're, they're the season actually is going to extend past the NHL season mm-hmm. the way the schedule is. It's going to go into May, but the, the Laval Rocket are a team that is deep they have players who I feel can help the Montreal Canadiens, but I am not sure if there's necessarily an impact player waiting in Laval right now. I think the closest impact player they have in Laval right now is Jesse Ulan. Yeah, okay. And and I, I think he can step up and, you know, people are talking about how, you know, your Armia should not be on the line that he's on. I think that if you put Ulan in, on a line with like Dano and Tatar, I think that they'd be really good. And I don't think the Montreal Canadiens will do that, at least not until they come back home and they can change the roster a little bit more uh, freely than they they can right now, when they'll need to charter a plane to Winnipeg to get anybody in the lineup. But Yessi Ullinen is is probably the most dynamic player in Laval right now, and and I'm I'm, I'm think that they'll probably give him a look more often more sooner rather than later. And there, there's players like Lucas Vedamo who I think if you're looking to give Jake Evans a little bit of a rest and, and a step back, he's someone who can step into that fourth line role instantly. Lahan Dauphin, who's with the team can, can do it as well. But I think Vedamo has been better in the AHL this season, even though Dauphin is, you know, he would be in the NHL right now, a year ago, if uh, the pandemic hadn't suspended the season. So, you know, I've, I think it's a little bit of respect that they're giving to him to give him that, that role on the taxi squad. And also, the the he can't play right now anyway because of the roster situation. So you don't want Vedamo to just sit around for no reason. And he's going to be playing tonight, uh, Saturday night against Toronto, or Sunday night, sorry, against Toronto. And th- there's a lot of guys in Laval who are playing really well. Josh Brook is really played well. And, and I guess what we'll do is we'll start talking about the, the prospects that everyone wants to talk about. Hmm. Which is Josh Brook, Ryan Palin. Yep. And Josh Brooke was had high expectations going into last season. Right? Everyone was expecting him to make a run at the, the NHL roster. And then people were like were people who hadn't watched Laval Rocket were surprised when Kale Fleury came out of nowhere. Hmm. And ironically, now everyone's calling for Kale Fleury to replace almost everybody on the Canadian Blue Line <laughs> right now. Um, but that, that's, that's another factor, uh, except Jay, Jeff Petrie, let's be real, and Joel Edmonds. But having said that, Josh Brooke has really started playing well. He, he was a healthy scratch for a couple of games because they wanted to get guys like Kaden Gooley and Gianni Fairbrother into games before they left for junior. And, and Brooke, you know, if you look now, he's fourth. He's basically tied for second on a team scoring lead. He has as many points as Jordan Wheel and more goals than Jordan Wheel. And, and Jordan Wheel has been playing really well. So that's not an indictment on, on his play. But Josh Brook is finally starting to show the offense that a lot of people expected from him last year. And it just goes to show how tough the professional level is to get adjusted to.
1: It was also, if we look at Josh Brook, he he dominated, obviously, his last season in the WHL. And I don't think that, as you say, like the step to go from WHL to to the AHL is huge um, and that's why like me and Patrick for example being from Europe I think we have a, a slight bias for European prospects out of that specific reason that they get to play professional senior level hockey at an earlier age um, just by being you know from Sweden or from Russia or from the Czech Republic you get to play in those uh, major league teams um, if you're really good, you will play play in your teens, you know. Whilst if you play, if you get drafted from one of the Canadian Junior Leagues, um, it's a big step to just, we, we see that with another prospect now who actually, he beat out a lot of other, um, well, CHL prospects to actually gain a spot on Laval, Cam Hillis. He has played one game so far. Right, so it's it's a big step to just come into a lineup in the AHL and actually make an impact. And then we we'll see someone like Jesse Olenin, who you mentioned, for example. Yeah, he's um, no, they are the same age, right? Josh Brook and Jesse Olenin.
0: If I'm yeah, they were drafted a year think, apart. Yeah, right. but I think they're but, but, but they're very 99. close in age because yeah. one's an older older player and one's a younger player. So yeah, yeah they're, exactly, they're pretty similar age. But but
1: if we look at Jesse Olenin when he was coming over, I I remember you were banging the drum quite uh, quite fondly for him and saying that uh, you thought that he would be in the NH- NHL before the season was over and it m- may be that you're right because he started the season really well but when people looked at his statistics uh, for his last season in the in Liga people said that oh well he doesn't have that many points so he won't be an asset yeah. uh, and then you look at someone like um, Josh Brook and you saw him 75 points in 59 games in the WHL wow he will be an asset soon in the NHL and then you know, like playing in the Liga is obviously quite a few levels up from playing in the WHL. So uh, then, then you get like if you come from one of the junior leagues, more often than not. And that was was what was obviously so impressive with Nick Suzuki when he came straight from the OHL and made the team, made the Montreal Canadiens out of camp, um, because you did could couldn't quite expect that for coming from junior hockey and just making an impact uh in an instant but but for for many prospects like josh brook it takes some while getting used to uh the more physical level and just having less time and everything so it's great to see him doing well and yeah having more right-handed defensemen who who can make an impact makes it uh, make makes the lineup more fluid in a in a especially in a post-COVID uh, world. So, yeah, uh, great for uh, for Brooke and for the Canadian's future.
0: Yeah, it, it's funny because then you see guys like Keaton Gooley who go into the AHL and don't look out of place at all, which I don't think many people were expecting necessarily. He has the physicality. Yeah, he does. And he also played a lot more like recently. Josh Brook
1: is more of a technical player.
0: And he also played yeah. a lot more recently than some of the other guys. right? He was in the World Juniors. Yeah. And and so you know he, a lot of guys uh, didn't play as recently as that, and there were you know quarantines and time off ice and things like that. But your your instincts you know get that work, then that that wouldn't happen. And and Ulin as well, right? Ulan also played, and I think that that was part of the reason why I said that in the beginning is that he's going to have his game legs, and and sure enough, he does. And Otto Leskinen is another example of that. Uh, a player who came in Lucas Vedemo as well. All these guys played and yes, there was a long quarantine. Most of them had to not skate for 14 days. So it wasn't that helpful, but I think it helps your, because there's two kinds of shape, right? There's, there's being in shape and then there's being game shape and game shape is completely different than regular shape. Right. Um, You just have to practice those, those, those brain muscles. Right. And you know, Oh, oh, crap i have two guys on me what am i what am i supposed to do right that's the kind of thing that you can't replicate in practice and 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 that's something that maybe helps these guys right now do that and, and get a good start to the season and and um and yeah brooke i don't know if he's ready for the nhl right now obviously there's a there's a big hole on the right side of the canadians defense uh especially with romanov playing uh on the left side now but i don't know if that now is the time right you, you don't want to get into the ups and downs and you just want to let them marinate a little bit. Right. You don't want to, it's like when you cook on a barbecue, right. You don't want to open the lid too many times. Right. Cause then you lose all your heat or cook in the oven or if you're baking, you don't want to open the oven or open the barbecue too many times. Right. Because that, that you want to keep the heat inside and you want everything in there to, to cook properly and, and patience is needed. And that my friends is what you call a perfect segue to get to Ryan paling.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, because that was the issue last year is that every time Ryan Paling started to get going, the Canadians came calling and, and it wasn't a recipe for success because he never got used to the NHL. He never got used to the AHL. And what you had was a pretty bad season. Now, a lot of people are either not, Looking at anything and saying, yes, he can play in the NHL because they remember his NHL debut and like, whoa, three goals from the fourth line. The Montreal Canadiens can use that right about now. But everyone else is looking at the stat line and being like, "Uh oh, he only has two points and two goals and two assists in 10 games. He should be dominating the AHL. Can't call him up yet. He's a bust. And like everything in life, the answer is in the middle of those two things because he is he is creating, generating chances, more chances than I remember seeing him play, do it all last year. And, and that's a positive thing, obviously. But at the same time, you don't want to call up a player who's struggling for consistency in terms of production in the AHL to the NHL because that's just a recipe for disaster. I think it was, I want to say it was Craig Button during the, the Vancouver games on TSN. Or maybe it was even the first Calgary game. Anyway, it was one of the recent games. And he's like, if you're not dominating the level below the NHL, you're not going to play well in the NHL. And and that's, that's the big thing for a lot of players. And, and there are some... There are some exceptions to that. Nick Nick Suzuki, you can say, but he really dominated the OHL in the playoffs right before coming to the NHL. He was dominant. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think that's a surprise. Yes, Barry Kutkaniemi is probably the closest to that in that he didn't dominate where he was before the NHL, but at the same time, he showed progression every single time he stepped on the ice after being drafted. And he was so, su- and he's super
1: guy. young when he was drafted
0: as well. Right. He, he was very young when he was drafted. He was, he was, the, I think he was the top, he was the youngest player in his first year in yep. the NHL. And he was the second, like he was like top five youngest players in the second year in the NHL. Yeah, Like that's how, that's how young he was. And he's still one of the youngest players in the NHL this mm. year. And, you know, it, it's, it's crazy to think that he's in his third NHL season. And he's still, you know, one of the youngest players in the league. Mm. And, and he's younger than Nick Suzuki. <laughs> so you know and and i think he's even younger than romanov if i'm not mistaken i
1: don't yeah, have Ro- romanov is born early 2000 yeah. january and uh yeah so is july, july.
0: So, yeah. yeah so yeah i mean you know it's crazy to think that he's still the youngest player on this team yeah in his third season because you know we, he's he's already a bust in some people's eyes um not many but some people let's just be mm-hmm. clear uh, i'm not i'm not painting everybody with a, a brush here but you look at Peeling, and he's never going to be a top six scorer. He's just not in the NHL level. I think I still think he can be a, a good, you know, third line, um, maybe fringe second line. You know, if you're looking at Philip Deneau, I think that he can pr- maybe be at his at his best if everything goes right. He can be as offensive as Philip, as Philip is, which is not a bad thing. I'm not talking about Philip Deneau this year. I'm talking about overall. And I think that the biggest thing right now is that Montreal Canadiens fans went so long without any prospect development. None. The closest you can say that they've had is Brendan Gallagher. And even that was not really prospect development because it was junior hockey. He had a really good training camp, Got was one of the last cuts on... Uh, in his first, in his first NHL training camp, the next year, lockout year starts the year in the AHL, gets to play a lot of good minutes, goes to NHL training camp, makes the team healthy scratch his first game and really was not healthy scratch the rest of his career. And that's not prospect development. That's just, <laughs> that's just a guy who had nowhere to play, playing in the NHL, gets the NHL and makes the team. That's not prospect development. You know, Jake Evans, prospect development, but you're talking about a seventh round pick who was drafted eight years ago or something ridiculous, seven years ago. So, I mean, that's not really, pro- that, that, that's not general pro- prospect development either. You know, Nick Suzuki is very cut Kinyemi coming right to the NHL after they get signed, basically. That's not normal prospect development. There's, there's, no, there's no reference point for prospect development on the Montreal Canadiens.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's like... And, and, it would, and development
0: is not like a straight line either. Like not every player is going to have general prosper development, but they just don't... It's either star or bust, and there's no yeah. in between.
1: Yeah, but that's the problem because the Canadians have drafted so poorly during the last, well, dur- during the last several years... Like until the 2017, 2018 drafts, so we haven't seen really any prospects develop in the in the system, um, and now like since Laval was created, so this is like really the first season we are seeing with with proper prospects well last season as well josh brooke kill and uh, and ryan pelling obviously um but yeah so th- that is a great point that you're making because it, it was a long time ago that we saw prospects like Marinade in the HL for several seasons because b- before they're ready to make the leap
0: right because they, basically when they were any 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 kind of ready they were called up because the team needed them so badly, right? I mean, that, that was the problem with, with you know, you can look at Nathan Bullier and Jared Tenorti and guys like that. Um, and, and I do think that, you know, you mentioned the drafting. I don't know if the drafting was necessarily the issue as much as development as well. I mean, it was a mix of both, definitely. As my dog is howling like a wolf um, for some reason. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it, it's time to let, Prospects develop and have patience, and not everyone is going to be ready made for the NHL. That's not normal, right? You, you look at guys like Philip Deneau, Thomas Tatar, not normal. That's normal development, right? They, they go up and down, they they play in the NHL, they, they make the NHL, and then eventually they stick. And And I think that that's just something that we have to keep in mind with, with Ryan Paling. The AHL is a very hard league to dominate. And even if you dominate it, That doesn't mean that you're going to dominate the NHL. Look at guys like Chris Terry, Kenny Agostino, Phil Veroni. These are all AHL Mm. MVPs and not much NHL success between the three of them. And all of them played for the Montreal Canadiens, or at least were in the organization.
1: Yeah, but it's also what we've talked about. It's one thing to be um, like Phil Veroni and Riley Barber, who are stars in the AHL, and they bounce around the AHL uh, and always i mean they produce points on a consistent basis but if you pick them up and put them in in an nhl fourth line role like like a Charles sudan is an obvious example he doesn't thrive in that he needs to be a top six top six line guy and there he has much more competition who are much more skilled than he is um so you have to be if you want to go through the system from the AHL, you have to kind of, you have to be able to produce points on a consistent basis in the AHL, and then be able to do all the physical defensive work that is needed to gain a position on the bottom six, on the bottom six in the NHL. So you have to be a much more uh, polished player than just being like. If we look at uh, at uh, Jonathan Drouin, for example, who is uh, a highly skilled player. Uh, he is obviously a top six guy in the NHL, uh, but if he was just slightly less skilled, um, he would probably be out of the NHL altogether because he's not as good in if you would put him in a bottom six role. And, and that's the thing; it's it's just difficult to, as you say, um, dominate in the AHL and produce enough of points and and just offense to be able to. Um, well, rise above the pack, and then you're supposed to take on a different role probably in the NHL once once you get there.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it, while you're talking, it made me think of something. Joel Bouchard, a couple of days ago, said that what makes him excited about Jesse Ulanen is not that he's producing. It's that he's producing in ways that is sustainable when he gets to the NHL level. Because there's two kinds of offense, right? You can do everything not right. And just, if you're better than some of the other people in the NHL and you you use an extra second of time that you have in the AHL to your advantage just to get points, that is what a lot of players do in the AHL, the bracket points. But it's not sustainable when they get called up. The the thing that Jesse Ullinen is doing, and the thing that is really successful for him and and what Joel Bouchard said is, like if he was just cheating to create offense, I'd be mad. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be playing him as much and I I you know I, I have to tell him to, to change things about his game. But he said, yes, he is, is doing things that will translate to the NHL level. Mm. and And I think that that's important as well, right? What, what, what would be better for you as, 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 a, as a fan or watching this team? Would it be better to see Ryan Paling put up points but get to the NHL and be lost? Or would you rather build building blocks and then when he gets to the NHL level, end up, you know, being able to, to play at that level. So I think that's something to look at as well. And and something that maybe was even happening with, with Jesse Ullinen is that he wasn't necessarily playing to score necessarily as much as he could in, in Liga and, and maybe a part of that is deployment or teammates or things like that. But now you see that the, the numbers are finally catching up to what you see in the skill set. And that was the thing with me and Ullinen. I'm not like a, I, I don't want to, say that I'm, I'm a hockey genius or anything like that, but it, it's just that when you saw Yessi Ullinen play, you saw a good player, and the numbers just never caught up. And sometimes there's reasons for that, and, and sometimes it's just that the player is not as good as or as consistent as you want him to be. But other times, it it, it, it should be able to translate, and that's what what happened with Ullinen, and that's you know something that we might see with other players uh, under Joel Bouchard is that they're working on their NHL games in the AHL. They're not necessarily just trying to be a good AHL team.
1: Yeah, because it's fun. Uh, You made the reference like if Ryan Paling reaches the ceiling, he could become like a Philip Dano esque player, like borderline second line, but but a really good third line center. Um, And I was checking out Dano's history. And if you look at where he was, he was when he was uh, 21, 22, he was playing for Rockford in the AHL. um, And then when he was going on his, well, when he was turning 23, he uh, made the leap up to Chicago, played 30 games there, and then he was traded to Montreal. So Ryan Pelling is still turning 22 this year, right? So he's born 99. He's not old yet. So it's it's too early to write him off, especially now if he can get some consistent, consistent playing time and just figure out a few stuff a few things in in Laval during the season as you say it's better for him to just have uh one position that he has to play instead of just bouncing up and down all the time so yeah uh, we kind of as you say we we tend to forget how long it takes for players to actually be ready for NHL on a consistent basis like most of these players um and from from the start of 2016-2017, 2016-2017, Philip Deneau was a regular on the Montreal Canadiens and played 82 games and 40 points. But he was 23 then, and going on 24. So that's basically the same age as Jake Evans was. Uh, <laughs> Jake Evans was 24, going on 25. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not exactly late in Ryan Paling's career, so there's no reason to give up on him y- just yet. Yeah, exactly. And
0: we'll keep an eye on that for you. And uh, Anton, thank you so much for, for joining me. Thank you everyone for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you next time on Happy Mind.